Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hello, crime listeners. Welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth coming at you from North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis, Missouri. Yes, we are so excited to be back for another episode. Yeah, for real, I am. Because it gives us something to do. Yeah, no kidding. That, yeah, that is for real the reason why I enjoy it. Well, no, I mean, I enjoy this in general, but that's a big reason right now. It is definitely a nice hobby, for sure. And for me, outside my closet, the only hobby that I have gotten able to participate in, other than true crime, is going to Target. Oh, my gosh. Which is the first time (laughs) I have been back to Target in three weeks. And I do have to tell you, if you know me at all, you know that I am a regular Target consumer, shopper. I go like twice a week in my normal life. This must be, must have been killing you. It was so exciting to see it. And I felt like I was home, but the Starbucks wasn't open. <laughs> oh, true. And the deli wasn't open. And everyone was walking around in masks. And there was this little girl there who was like two and she was with a grandmother, it looked like. And she was so scared of all of the masks. And so every time somebody walked by her, she would scream and run. Oh, my goodness. She was. I can only imagine what it's like for a two-year-old because I know that that's like the weirdest part of this whole thing for me is like just walking around like seeing all these masks like it's just normal now yeah oh but it isn't normal though I think it's uncomfortable oh yeah no I put one on the other day and my ears hurt after one second yeah but I just mean like seeing people walk around in masks is it's like an uncomfortable feeling it's very eerie oh yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, they're walk. everybody's walking around with them, like, you, you know, like, it is normal to have it on, and but it's, it is very weird to see. Totally. Especially yeah. for the two-year-old. She was giving her grandma a real lung exercise, <laughs> because her grandma was having to chase her all around that store. <laughs> but she was not going within six feet of anybody. <laughs> she was running away. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It was cute. Glad that we're not in that stage anymore. That that doesn't happen. Hmm. I haven't <laughs> taken my kids. Oh yeah. No, my kids now, I mean, they're, we're, they're not allowed to anymore, but oh. um, I took one shopping one time early on and um, I, I, he does not even understand the concept of staying away from people. Hmm. I said it, I don't know how many times on the trip and it was like, he just kept pushing the cart 
and as close to people as he could. And I'm like, dude, people do not want you near them. <laughs> I tell you, it's going to be interesting to see how this really affects the kids when they, you know, yeah. when it's all over with how it affects their way of thinking and all that stuff, especially for that poor little two year old. Yeah, like no she's going to have an anxiety disorder. Oh, <laughs> well, you got anything outside your closet? No, not really. I mean, I feel like we're just sitting here doing the same things over and over again. <laughs> like we have a pretty solid routine and nobody's venturing from it. And so there's just really nothing going on, unfortunately. Well, I feel you. Get back into excitement. Maybe you should go to Target. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went there for groceries last on Monday. Oh well. But you need to try to scare a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's going to be your task this week. Go scare a baby at Target. Yeah. All right. All right. Got it. Challenge accepted. Okay. Good. Report back. <laughs> um. So let me tell you about a murder. No, really? I know. <laughs> this is a good one. Um, we are going to be talking today about the Roden family. Hmm. Yes. They are, again, small town USA. Another reason. That's what we should name this podcast. Small town crimes? Yeah. Yeah, or reasons not to live in small towns, or you'll never get out alive, you know. <laughs> Don't be a statistic. Um, right. So this small town is in Piketon, Ohio, which is in uh, Pike County, and it has a population of 2,100 people, so super small. It's not near anything. It is maybe 60 miles from Cincinnati. Ohio, which is probably a city that you have more likely heard heard of. Um, this town is a very, it's described as a sleepy town. So everyone that lives there has lived there their entire lives, most likely generations of their family have lived there. So everybody really does know everybody because everybody has grown up together and their parents grew up together and their grandparents grew up together. There's not a lot of work in this town. As you can imagine, it's, they have some industries like lumber, a sawmill. Um, there's a lot of farms and because there just isn't a whole lot happening in this town, there's a really high unemployment rate. So the people that live in this town are, not employed or considered self-employed, which would be like farming and things like that. There's a couple resorts that are located within 45 minutes or so that people, mostly the young population from Piketon go and work at, but it's just, just a really country, small, you know, kind of on the poorer side of towns. So okay. the Roden family we're going to start off with the head of the Roden family. His name is Christopher Roden. Christopher, or Chris, as he goes by, grew up in Piketon. His parents grew up in Piketon. He um, inherited land from his parents when they passed away. And 
shares this land with his other siblings. However, most of his other siblings have moved on from the town, so they no, no longer live there. There is He has one brother named Kenneth who still lives there and, um, you know, lives near the land. And But it's really kind of all his. So it doesn't fully belong to him, but he is the only person there, so he takes care of it. You know, it's it's his land as far as, like, location goes he you know works at a at a one of the little resorts I was just telling you about it's called Bear Lake Family Resort it's in Lucasville Ohio which is nearby and he does that kind of part-time when he needs money but he is considered to be a self-employed man he salvages cars so he buys cars fixes them up and then resells them he keeps a bunch of cars on the property which I think is about 71 acres altogether. And he's, he's very involved in his community. He knows everybody, everybody knows him, like I said, and he's really involved in their demolition derby, which is, oh, wow. They have a demolition derby in that town. They do. (laughs) The town has a demolition derby and they do a lot of four wheeling things in the town. And he's really, his whole family actually is really involved in all of that. So just country people. He meets his wife, Dana Lynn Manley. And when they were young, she also grew up in the town and they got married in October of 1994. So when they got married, they were very young. They were both under 20 years old. They settled on his family's property on the family land and they had four children. The first one was born in August of 95, so just the next year, Clarence Frankie Roden, who goes by Frankie. Next came Hannah Mae Roden, which was born in April of 97, so two years later. And then, I'm sorry, they had three children, not four. And then in November of 99, they had Chris, Christopher Roden Jr., so they call him Little Chris. The family, uh, again, were involved in the community. They were very loved. Dana, the mother, was a nurse's assistant in one of the local doctor's office. She was, everyone loved her. She was kind of everyone's mama. And the kids had a lot of friends. And they were, again, involved in sports and involved in this demolition derby and four-wheeling and all these outdoor activities. And they were kind of known as a very fun family. Every time that anyone talks about them, they just say that they were just a lot of fun. They were wild. They loved to be outside. They were very tight knit and they were a lot of fun. So in 2007, Dana and Chris senior get divorced. They remain very close and Dana actually ends up living not too far from Chris on the family property with, um, in like another, um, trailer. They live, uh, Chris, they grew up in a trailer, like a mobile home, and then they got another mobile home and put it on the property. And Dana moves in there in 2007 with Hannah, their daughter, and with little Chris. And I'm sorry, how big is this property? Did you say that? It's about, it's, just... uh, everything I can find says it's 70 to 70 or 71 acres. So it's big. Oh, okay. I mean, this is a big Okay, so she could live, I mean, close, but still quite a distance. Right, absolutely. Yeah, there's In lots general. of room there to mm-hmm. spread out. Okay. 
So the story takes place in spring of 2016. During this time, we have Chris Sr., who is 40 at the time, living in a trailer on his family property with his cousin, Gary Roden, who is 38. In the next closest mobile home lives their oldest son, Frankie, with his fiance, Hannah Gilly. So his sister's name is Hannah. This is a different Hannah. Her name is Hannah Gilly and their six month old baby. And Frankie and Hannah are both 20 at the time. Then in the next property over, we have Dana, Mama, who is 37. She is in the mobile home with her daughter, Hannah, who is nine, his three-year-old daughter, and a four-day-old baby. She had just had a little baby. Dana, he's at the time. The only family members that anywhere in the area seen he also lives in a mobile home fairly close by to where the other rodents live. So we've got four different mobile homes on or near each other with eight family, adult family members and two babies, three babies. We've got Hannah's two kids and then Frankie and his fiance's two, uh, one six-month-old. So on, yeah, it's a lot of people. Wow. Okay. A lot. On April 22nd of 2016, a 911 call comes in at 7.53 a.m. The call is from Dana's sister, so Mama's sister, Bobby Joe Manley. Bobby Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Bobby Joe. Stereotypical <laughs> name that I just laughed at. Yes. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> Um, Bobby Joe is at Chris Sr.'s mobile home. She tries to knock on the door. She can't get anybody to answer. She uses her key. She comes in and she finds Chris Sr. and Gary, Chris Sr.'s cousin, both dead. She frantically tells the 911 caller they were shot. I think my brother-in-law is dead. There's blood all over the house. You can find the 911 call if you want to hear it. So Bobby Joe is on the phone with 911 and she runs to the next closest mobile home, which is the home of Frankie and Hannah. So Frankie is the oldest son. Hannah Gilly is his fiance and finds both of them also dead, also shot, and their six-month-old baby left alone alive. So she calls 911 oh again goodness. and reports these next two victims. She also then calls her brother, James, who lives in the area because she now has the six-month-old baby and wants him to go and check on her sister, Dana, because their sister also lives on the property and she doesn't want to go into their house with the baby because she's afraid of what she's going to find. So James very quickly runs to the home of Dana and Hannah and little Chris and immediately finds Dana in the living room shot and finds Hannah in her bed shot with the four day old baby alive. So oh Hannah's daughter, Sophia, who is three, was not there 
He couldn't find her. And also missing is little Chris, who was 16, remember, at the time. Mm. So the police come. Right. Okay. They very slowly make their way through these properties. They all send out a on the lookout for little Chris because the fact that he is the only family member that is not present automatically is going to make him a suspect. So they find in all of these houses, right. there's no forced entry. There's really, there's definitely no robbery. It doesn't look like there was a struggle. They have two large dogs that are on the property that are the mobile homes, both tied up, alive, seemingly fine. They uh, also are able to tell that the bodies, some of them, if not all of them, look like they had been beaten before they were shot. So then around 1130, Hmm. so this is a few hours after the initial 911 call comes in, another 911 call comes in that Kenneth Roden, who is about four or five miles down the road, is also found shot and dead in his trailer. He is not on the same property, so but not very, on the same property. close by. And if I'm understanding, it is still property owned by the Roden family. And remind me, I'm sorry, because Kenneth there's so many Chris family members. Senior's Who brother. is Kenneth again? So he's Uncle Kenny. Okay. Right. Oh, right. Right. The, okay. The other one, that, the only one that hadn't moved like far exactly. away, but wasn't on the property. Right. So at this point, we have seven. Mm-hmm. Members of the same family dead. So they continue to search these properties as carefully as they can to find any piece of evidence that they could possibly find. And in better searching of the home, they then find little Chris. Also shot, also dead. (gasps) Kind of stuck back. He was kind of stuck back in a bedroom. Do you know where? Kind of under the bed. So who, um, Bobby, Joe, and James, well, I guess it was James that went into that, what he didn't see him at first. So it wasn't until the police actually went in and searched the entire house that they, they ended up finding him. So there are eight members of the Roden family and all eight are found shot and dead in their home, seemingly in their sleep. So we have Chris senior so dana frankie the oldest son and his fiance then we have hannah little chris gary the cousin and kenneth the brother all shot dead all at the same time in their homes okay now, and, and I'm going to ask this question, but I don't, it, maybe it's going to be answered later, or maybe you don't know the answer to this, so just let me know, but um, Bobby, Bobby Joe. Joe, right, that's her name, <laughs> um, she first went to not even her sister, she didn't go to her sister's house first, she went to the ex-husband's house, which I know that they're all, like, nice, but do we know why she went there first, like, and why she had a key to that house as well, like, so, it's just everybody just gets along. We don't have a definitive answer on this question. 
we know what Bobby Joe says, <laughs> which is that she went to help feed the animals because they do have chickens on the property and dogs and cats. So that is what she said she was doing there. There is speculation that she was there for other reasons, which I will get into later in the story. But I love that question. Okay. Um, okay. So this spurs, okay. obviously, a massive investigation. The investigation has actually been called the largest homicide inv- investigation in Ohio's history. So how we never heard of it, I don't know. Me either. I know. I've so never heard anything about the, this. There's a hundred or more task force members. There are sheriffs from every office in Ohio, 250 officers. The FBI is called in. DEA is called in. The entire investigation is being led by the Bureau of Criminal Affairs. So massive investigation. We have four crime scenes, eight bodies dead, eight bodies found, all shot and beaten. There was a total of 32 gunshots that they were able to determine in that were people, they were shot a total of 32 times, all collectively together. Chris Sr. was shot the most amount of times, which was nine times in the head and in the torso. There were other family members who were shot more than one time, all in the head or in the torso, but Chris by far was shot the most times. Everyone else is coming in at one or two shots. There's absolutely no evidence left behind, nothing. There are not footprints, there are not fingerprints, there is nothing. They have no clues whatsoever and seemingly no motive. So the fact that they lived in mobile homes actually was to the investigators' advantage because they just took them. They seized the entire houses and rolled them down the road. And the FBI and all of this law enforcement and the BCI that was working on the case just took to walking walking the crime scenes and taking all of the evidence. And you can actually see footage of these four mobile homes being rolled down the road. And it is the darkest parade you could ever imagine going down a, a road. So interesting. Cause they could really legitimately like lock yeah, down these crime exactly scenes. What they, they just did. took them. <laughs> So as you can imagine, this is taking a ton of manpower. Mm. This is taking a lot of time. They do know for sure that there are multiple suspects because the sheer organization of this crime could not have been done in the way that it was as quickly as it was with just one person. So they immediately know that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, this is yeah, a mass true. killing. Yeah. Right. And somebody would have heard something gotten up, like wouldn't have been like found in their beds or, you know, sitting, <laughs> like you probably would have been running out of their homes and 
trying to see what's happening and getting right. Absolutely. So they know for sure that this was a very sophisticated operation. Uh, Interestingly enough, and to add yet another twist in our sweet rodent families situation here, during the searches of the property, the acres that the rodent family owned, they found a huge marijuana growing operation. Multiple grow houses, over 200 plants in all that were estimated at over a half million dollars. They also found a lot of evidence of illegal cockfighting. So that's where you fight roosters. Money. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. (laughs) I know I'm not country, but I did know that. So they found a lot of cages and arenas (laughs) and chickens and chicken breeding operations and things like that. So the town is absolutely shocked, as you can imagine, by the fact that this entire family in one night was completely swiped out so swiftly. And then to find out that they were involved in all of this illegal activity. So they took over 80 pieces of evidence and four of the pieces of evidence were the actual homes. So those included hundreds of pieces of evidence as well. They issued over five warrants. They did 50 or more interviews. They had over 700 tips coming in of suspicious activity and whatever else. And nothing led to an arrest. They'd never even had any suspects. They also were able to find that the Roden family had a lot of surveillance on their property, most likely because of the huge grow operation that they had going on. And there is absolutely nothing even on this surveillance. So whoever it was completely avoided the surveillance altogether. So that is very odd. Well, yeah, you'd think that would mean it was somebody like that was aware of where the surveillance cameras were and aware of everything about the property. So as you can imagine, this town is absolutely terrified because with there being no suspects, no motive whatsoever, they are wondering if they don't just have some mass serial killer in their small town living among them and are they going to be next? Who's going to be next? So it completely knocks this town in a whirlwind and they're all panicked and pointing fingers and everyone is blaming everyone. So obviously, back to your first question that you asked, Bobby Joe, what was she doing there? early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So they hit her hard, her and James, her brother, really, really hard. And it's never actually said why she was actually there. I mean, she did say initially she was there to feed the animals, but they're pretty sure that Bobby Joe was involved somehow in all of this illegal things that were going on and she doesn't want to admit that that's why she was there because 
it would make her look like a suspect or she would get in trouble. She would get arrested for being involved, knowing about and being involved in all of this illegal activity. Bobby Joe and James both passed multiple lie detector tests. Their bouts were accounted for, their alibis were checked. And initially, eventually, both of them were cleared of being suspects altogether. So the police have absolutely no reason whatsoever to press any charges or suspect even Bobby Joe or James. They put trackers on them. They, again, I mean, they, they were both lie detector tested multiple times and just very, very scrutinized for months really at a time. And they just came up with nothing. They have no evidence and initially or eventually said that they don't have any reason to suspect them. So then, you know, they talk about is this a could it could it have been one member of the family that shot all of his family members and then committed suicide? They don't believe that that was a viable option because everyone was shot so many times. So, you know, nobody's going to shoot themselves more than one time. So they rule that out. Right. Yeah. yeah it would probably be extremely difficult. Shoot yourself in the head again. Like that just wasn't a viable option. So that was ruled out pretty quickly. There's a couple rumors going around about a road rage, road rage incident that had happened not long before that with Chris senior. He and another driver had gotten into a fight or whatever about that. That was initially one of the theories that came out but was ruled out there's they look into rivalries about the demolition derby how i guess this can be a pretty heated sport and so they looked into all of those leads that came in those were ruled out some to do with cockfighting again they were ruled out there were some facebook threats that were made to little chris by a class member. They looked into that. It's just all of these leads that are coming in are leading to nothing. They don't have any suspects. There is just no evidence, nothing, nothing to arrest anybody or suspect anybody even in particular. Every lead that they have come in just goes nowhere. So then they start looking into the option related to the illegal activity that was going on, specifically the marijuana. And they start to look at it like it's a pro a professional hit so automatically that makes you think of the cartel yeah i was just going to ask if, if so they, they had looked. found any links so there is them and like a, some a sort part of, cartel. of the mexican cartel the sinaloa cartel that does have connections in ohio and there are a few pockets of this particular cartel and marijuana growing that are all outside P- Pike County, but they're they're fairly close. And they think, you know, this was done really sophisticatedly. It was execution style. They were asleep. It was so quick. So they look into them and it just doesn't pan out. They can't find any evidence whatsoever that there's any connection at all to the Roden family grow houses and the Mexican cartel. 200 plus plants and half a million dollars does sound like a lot, but when you're talking in cartel numbers, that is really small potatoes. So that's one of the reasons why they Mm -hmm. are not really super 
convinced that that's going on. Plus they find no connection whatsoever. Another reason is they left the kids alive. And that is not the cartel's way. They kill everybody. They, this showed some sort of humanity. And there's also evidence in the way that they were beaten and just the way that it was done, that it was almost like very rage filled and like they were punishing, someone was like personally punishing them for what they have done. So it just seems too intimate to be the cartel. So, oh. but again, they do look into that. They don't find any connection whatsoever. They do not think that this is a stranger. They were able to skip by the surveillance. The dogs didn't attack. They knew where all four of these properties were and where all of the bedrooms were in all of these properties. It just seems like a stranger could not have done this. So with no leads and no suspects and no evidence, the police get really quiet. So this town is panicked. They are all terrified. And the, a one year goes by with nothing. They hold vigils. Hundreds of people come out. There's a lot of police or news interviews about this, these, this vigil that they hold that just so reflective of how absolutely terrified this town is of who is there walking among them or what stranger came in and did this to one of their families. So that was in April of 2017 was the one year mark. In May, just a couple weeks after that one year mark hit, May 2017, out of nowhere, the police raid and search a huge property in Piketon, Ohio, called the Flying W Farm. This is a 300 acre horse farm with very specialized horses, extremely expensive horses. And it is owned by a family called the Wagner family, thus the Flying W Farm. This family had all of a sudden, gotcha. this farm that they had had in their family for generations and generations, they sold it in March of 2017. So just a couple months before this raid took place. We don't know what prompted the police to do this raid. And at the point when they did it, they didn't know if it was related to the rodent murders even. The town suspected, but nobody really knew. It's about 10 miles away from where the rodents lived. And they also searched another property that was owned by Jake Wagner, who is the son of Billy. So Billy owned the Flying W Farm, sold it in March of 2017. In May, the police come, they search the Flying W, and they search Billy's son's property. So all of these searches are going on, and the town is reeling. They have no clue what's going on. And I want to tell you a little bit about this Wagner family. So the Wagner family is the richest family in town. They own everything. They are like piked in royalty. Frederica, who is the head of the Wagner family, is in her 70s. Again, they have lived there for generations and generations. She has some old money. 
and owns a lot of property, over 1,700 acres in Piketon, Ohio. Her worth is estimated to be at about $4 million. This family is beloved in this town. They all are extremely involved in the church. They are so charitable. They have dinners twice a week for anyone who wants to come that needs to eat dinner and bring their children. They are, everyone loves them. So the town is shocked by the fact that they are actually searching these properties that were owned by them. Then the police bring up a connection and they say, we are connecting these searches to the Roden murders. The Wagner family, Billy Wagner, who is the father, his wife, Angela, and their two sons, George and Jake, are all persons of interest in the Roden family murders. So Uh, during the search, the sons sons would have been like 24 and 25. So no, no, they're adults. Oh, not young, young kids. The connection between the Wagner family and the Roden family is very clear. Jake, their youngest son, is the father of Hannah Roden's three-year-old daughter, Sophia. And at the time of the murders, he had Sophia with him. So she was not there in the house. The town goes crazy. So they spend weeks searching these properties and then nothing. It leads to no arrests and they, I guess, bring them in for questioning, which leads to nothing. They, they don't find anything. There's no evidence. So then in June of 2017, so this is one month after they searched these properties, the Wagner family, Billy and Angela, their sons, Jake and George, and Jake's daughter, Sophia, move to Alaska. They pick up and leave. What? <laughs> okay. They claim that this is for Sophia, in quotes, due to increased press scrutiny. They say they're being harassed by law enforcement. They say that the town is blaming them because the police suspected them and that they just can no longer live there. So obviously this just leads to more scrutiny by the town because you pick up and leave and go to Alaska. They fled is what the town believes. So. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not like you just moved out of the state. (laughs) I know, right? I know. Way the heck far away. It's a funny place to pick, but. So more time goes by. And the Wagners are not there. The police go quiet again. The two-year anniversary goes by in April 2018. They hold more vigils. They release balloons into the air to memorialize the victims. Then in the summer of 2018, the Wagners return. So they come back to Piketon, Ohio, and just pick up life right where they left off, or so they think. Immediately after they return the investigation ramps up 
they have heat on them all the time. The po- from the police, from the people in the town, they are not welcomed back into this town. The police release autopsies of the victims, telling exactly where the gunshots were, exactly what the injuries were. They are pointing fingers. They are calling them, bringing them in for questioning. They are tracking them. They are up in their houses, serving warrants. All kinds of heat is down on them. And the police are actually being vocal about it. So they don't find out a lot. They don't release a lot of what the evidence is that they find, but they're very, very clear that they are people of interest and that they are going to get to the bottom of what's going on with this family. So in October of 2018, the police announced that they have collected all the evidence that there is to collect. And then just a week later, at the beginning of November 2018, the Wagner family is arrested. Everyone, all simultaneously in different parts of the state of Ohio. So they arrest Billy, who is 47. They arrest Angela, who is 48. George, who is 27. And then Jake, who is 26. And there's body camera footage of some of these arrests. Which if you are into that kind of thing, it's very... It reminds me of that show that used to be on the cops show where it would show people getting arrested and just like some very country people. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bad boy. Very bad good. boy. I recommend it if you're into that. <laughs> um, the motive the police announced they believe is bad blood between Hannah Roden and Jake over the custody of their three-year-old daughter, Sophia. And as the police word it, an obsession by Angela Wagner to get full and primary custody of this little girl. Eight people. So you kill over the custody of a nine three-year-old or little girl. Eight people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So not just the mother. I, I guess they believed that. <laughs> but everybody. If they because for whatever reason Jake does not have custody of her he does see her and has visitation clearly because he had her the night of the murders but their thinking was well if we just do something about Hannah then Dana the mother will get custody because that's who she's lived with her whole life or at least it would be a fight Mm. so they are charged with eight counts of aggravated murder And 22 other criminal charges. So these charges are conspiracy, engaging in a pattern of corrupt behavior, tampering with evidence, all on and on and on. Aggravated burglary, just a slew of charges. Two days after the Wagners were arrested, the four Wagner family members, they also arrested Billy's mom, Frederica Wagner, who is the head of the Wagner family. She is the one who owns all of this property and is, you know, as the, the, the richest lady in town, in other words. And they also arrest Rita Newcomb, who is Angela's mother. Both of them were arrested for perjury and obstruction of justice and forgery, which they say was related to the child custody documents regarding Sophia. And then I guess they also lied to the police about the Wagner's involvement during the investigation. 
So the they announced that they do have a lot of evidence um, against the Wagner family as it relates to the murders. They know that the Wagners studied the rodents' comings and goings, the layouts of their homes. They tampered with the surveillance devices. They had Jake make frequent visits there so he could befriend the dogs. They tampered with phones and parts of the home security system that the family Mm. had. They found that they had bought ammo. They had bought clips. They had bought brass brass catchers. So those are things that you attach to guns so that when the shells come out after you fire around, it catches them. So you're not leaving any evidence behind on what type of gun you used because the markings on the shell mm-hmm. can pinpoint a specific gun. So they bought those. They bought bug detectors, which is used to identify hidden surveillance. They made silencers out of lawnmower parts. They bought specific shoes to wear so that they wouldn't leave any footprints or markings that could be identified and led back to them. I mean, these people. Oh, my. Ridiculous. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Like, and how did they know to do all this stuff? I mean, they must have Googled something. (laughs) did they get that in evidence googled how to yeah. make pay a left how do you make a silencer out of lawnmower parts i mean yes this is wild <laughs> so um they again were arrested in november of 2018 i mean then the grandmothers were arrested i mean the head of this town technically everybody's grandma has now been arrested so can you even imagine living in this town I mean, they all need to like, (laughs) there's just no way to escape all of this craziness that's going on. So the four, the entire Wagner family and Rita Newcomb, Angela's mother, all pled not guilty and are held, being held in jail without bond, awaiting their trials. And So the two grandmothers who have these smaller charges, big charges, but not aggravated murder of eight people, um, like Frederica, her charges were dismissed in June of 2019, which I think is so interesting. Rita Mm. Newcomb pled guilty to a lesser charge. So she took a plea deal. And instead of having the perjury and obstruction of justice, she just pled to a misdemeanor obstruction charge. And that was in December of 2019. But the other four, Billy, Angela, Jake, and George, are all still being held in separate prisons in Ohio. And they have all waived their right to a speedy trial. So they can't, you know, if you have a speedy trial, that's so that you don't have to sit in jail before you're proven guilty. And they have all waived that right. So Mm -hmm. they're filing extensions and requests for more time and all of this stuff is going on there's so much evidence that the judges just keep granting it so they're all going to pre-trial court appearances over and over again for various things but no one even has a trial date set and 
the law enforcement in Ohio is saying that it could be a year from now before the trials even begin and start to take place. They are all facing the death penalty. Wow. Well, thank goodness. I mean, I'm not really sure how I actually feel about the death penalty, but mm-hmm. for crying out loud, you murder that. And you have to think too, family. there's still children. Well, that's what I was just going to ask. Who, where, where's Sophia? Where are all the little ones that were like this? Bo- uh, Bobby, Billy, yeah. Billy Joe, you Bobby Joe. Guess it <laughs> <laughs> have them all. <laughs> no, Bobby Joe does Bobby not have Joe them. They have are them not all? in, like, in the family They have, have them. been moved somewhere outside of the town, but they have actually issued a gag order as it relates to any of the evidence and all of that stuff on all four of these people who are being tried for this. And they also issued a gag order on. So all that we have been told is that the children are well and safe with family Mm. in neighboring counties. Because you have Hannah. Okay. Yeah, well, I would imagine I mean, maybe it's they good to know that there was family, Christine, your siblings who we know don't live in that town or something like that, family members like that. So, but we don't know where they are because so we have Sophia right. and then we have the six month old that was Frankie and Hannah Gillies. And then they have the four day old that was Hannah's by a different man. And their whole, I mean, their whole families were just wiped out. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one side, the, 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 one of the Sophia's family was yeah. wiped out on one side and the other side since everybody yes. on the other and side was involved in the murder. let us give a special <laughs> shout out to my mother, Carolyn, who recommended this case. She is the 78-year-old crime yes carolyn (laughs) we have created a monster yes the wildest story you could ever imagine so true crime fan this story is very popularly known too as the piketon family massacre so if you're looking it up so what do you think about that you have anything you want to say to that that's Oh my gosh, that <laughs> it's just amazing. The entire story is amazing to me that it was like the entire family's wiped out by another entire family, not just like one member. <laughs> I mean, that's some serious dark. Indeed, it is. I would say a different word than stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, can't wait to hear yours next week. It's quite intriguing. And yeah, yeah, me too. Oh, yep. I already know that one. Just kidding. I was going to say, I don't even know what story I'm going. Oh, wait, no, we have that one recorded. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks guys so much for listening. Um, as always, we would love to hear from you. So feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're using. If you have any questions or feedback, find us on Instagram and Facebook. If you have any suggestions for stories like carolyn um you can email us at crimesandclosets at gmail.com and just always remember the world is scary people suck hide in your closets
See ya.